Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you've got to bring your own snacks. It is October, and our selection for this month is Celeste Ng's Our Missing Hearts. It's about Noah, also known as Bird, who is in grade school when the novel starts. He lives in Boston, but it's sort of a post-democratic America where access to information is scarce. Anti-Asian racism is everywhere. His mom, who's a Chinese-American poet, disappeared a couple of years ago. So now it's just him and his white librarian dad. That's all I'm going to say for now. Here is your spoiler warning. We are about to have an extremely spoilery conversation about this book. So if you haven't read it yet and you don't want to know what happens, you should go listen to our interview with Celeste Ng, which is also in the feed. If you haven't read it and you want to know what happens or if you've read it, you are in the right place. We are so glad to have you. And I am so excited to introduce you to this month's panel. With us, we have rapper and author and poet Dessa, whose new poetry collection is excellently called Tits on the Moon, and it's out now. Dessa, hey. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. We also have NPR host at large and author of the forthcoming book, Flawless, Elise Hugh. Elise, hello. Hey, Greta. Hey, Dessa. It's great to be here. Yay. Thanks for coming on. Okay, so I'm really excited to talk about this book because I think there is a lot to unpack. This is a pretty intense one, but it's also, as we were kind of talking about before we started recording, I think like intensely bingeable. It's like it goes down pretty easy. Um, But I think we should start with one of the biggest themes that really struck me with this one, which is how close this felt to real life. It kind of even speaks to something that Stephen King wrote about in his review of this book for the New York Times Book Review, which, I mean, he says this isn't dystopian fiction, but actual fact. Uh, Wow. I know, right? Elise, what do you think? Would you call this dystopian Well, it felt all too real as a Chinese-Taiwanese-American existing in this space, right? In the pandemic, they um, had the Kung Pao's, the fictional Kung Pao's in the book, Mm. which PAO stood for, person of Asian origin. And then here um, in real life, the COVID, you know, COVID was originally called by the Trump administration Kung Flu, (sighs) right? And so, (laughs) um, but no, there is so much talk of kind of violence and then older Asians being killed and then people of Southeast Asian descent getting confused as Chinese, you know, and getting punched in the face. That all has been happening. Right, right. Um, That is not a near future. That is reality. And so I can see what Stephen King meant by that. And then also the the book bans also felt all too real, you know, as the culture wars on books have really come for the librarians. 
Well, I think, too, just, you know, huge questions around access to information and what is and isn't true and how things are going with this great American experiment. And even, you know, especially during the moments farther along in the book when the uprising is being described and just how quiet the streets are and everything, Mm -hmm. even that having gone through isolation was like, oh, I don't like how easy this actually is to picture. That struck you, too, Dessa? It did. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, there was nothing that is unrecognizable wholesale mm. in the book. Oh, right. You right. know what I mean? Um, body just cringed like my whole body. <laughs> but, but I do think that it's like, it's a reminder that it's a question of degree and not of kind, which is to mm. say like this behavior is on display. Now, this is what it looks like when it's the dominant thought. Mm. It it really struck me all the examples of people kind of scurrying away and not mm-hmm. being able to look at Bird or not being able to look at mm-hmm. folks of Asian descent who had been beat up or had been the targets of violence mm-hmm. and how how that that fabric that kind of keeps us together as a community really frays um, when we have to prove our nationalism. In some ways, though, it's too. If this makes sense, like I was grateful for a peek into the kind of roots of cowardice that they can sometimes be tethered to love. Right. So it was like bird's dad being so afraid to enter the fray, right. To stand up for what, for what's right, because he's really concerned about the well-being of his son. And I think that that kind of lens is more useful to a reader because you can recognize potentially yourself in it than is, yeah. than is, um, you know, a, a peek into it, into an absolutely irredeemable evil heart. Because I think there are fewer mm. of those, like we do our worst when we're afraid. And so a reminder to yeah. check oneself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's yeah. all on the flip side of that. It's a template for authoritarian right. evil, right? Yes. Because authoritarians, all they have to do is act on fear all they have to do is start taking children or <laughs> give you the threat that children might be taken, right? Yeah. And then we are willing to stay silent. Yeah. We are willing to sort of not speak up in hopes that our children might be re- be returned to us, yeah. which is what happens in the, spoiler alert, in the book. <laughs> I think, too, just the intensity of the layers around the fact that Bird is biracial. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously, it's extremely devastating that his mother left for a number of reasons. But I think also because... Here he is with his white dad who's doing his best to protect him, but also like can't really understand what's happening and isn't picking up on things maybe the way that he should be or is just, you know, to your point, Dessa, like extremely afraid all the time because he's trying to protect this kid who he knows people are looking at in a certain way. I also think that there is a a gendered um, element that maybe is obvious so as to not need flagging, but we're used to these stories, I think, where somebody's brave and valiant dad leaves Mm. for philosophically praiseworthy reasons. And we're a lot less comfortable with somebody's mom abandoning them to fight the good fight. That reads really differently. Yeah. It does. Let's take a listen to a voicemail. Here is our all-star Nerdette book club reader, Liz in Minnesota. Amazing. Like, definitely top favorite book of the year. I mean, like, within my, like, top 10, right? Like, I can't call my top book now. That's too much pressure. Um, (laughs) But people keep referring to it as, like, a post-apocalyptic story. Um, And I think that the frightening part of this book is that there is no apocalypse, right? Like, the crisis is actually something that like feels 
so real and imminent in a way that the apocalypse does not. I think Celestine was brilliant by making it the crisis because it it feels so different than every other dystopian novel I feel like that we are currently reading. Yeah, I think that goes back to what you were saying too, Dessa. It's just like, oh, actually, yeah, like here it is. <laughs> it's more familiar than it should be. <laughs> yeah, we keep talking about this as sort of present or a potential future. Yeah. But what Celeste Ng mentions in her author's note at the very mm-hmm. end of the book yes. is that she was actually writing about history, right? That, that there's a long history, right. uh, both in the U.S. and in other um, nations of removing children as a means mm. of political control. You know, it happened with indigenous people, the yes, Native Americans absolutely. who were taken, who, whose children were taken to go to boarding schools to essentially be reformed. You know, so obviously it happened on our very own soil. Right, right. It, it does seem like maybe we need a new, like, designation of, like, it's mid-apocalyptic fiction. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, at what point do we just admit we're in the apocalypse? Then, right, exactly. You know? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Paulina from Washington, D.C. She called to talk about Margaret's action in the ending, where she shares the stories of the missing children. The way Celestine describes the significance of this seemingly simple action of sharing the stories of these kids and the little joys they brought to their families' lives is so, so powerful. This made me think of the situation in Mexico where I grew up. For over 10 years, there has been so much violence related to the so-called war on drugs. And with that, tens of thousands of people have disappeared. There are so many collectives of family members who are looking for their loved ones. It is so, so heartbreaking. And yet there are also so many people doing the important work of telling the stories of those who are missing. One example of that is a cookbook that I recently got it's called a cookbook for remembrance where family members of those who are missing shared a recipe for their loved one's favorite meal as a way to keep their memory alive to cook it for them even Mm -hmm. if they can't physically share it and to pass it along to others like me and this really resonated with me both in terms of the power of art and actions like these to document these stories and raise awareness but also in the ways that policies in the u.s often reverberate to other places Oh, man. It's such a gorgeous and heartbreaking sentiment. Polina, thank you so much for sharing that. I think it, you know, kind of speaks to what you were talking about, Elise, with the fact that here's another instance of something that is very real and happening in the world right now that is extremely relevant to this book. These themes in the book are so universal, right? I thought the most gripping and affecting parts were when um, the author gets into these very individual specific stories about the children and describes how there was one that wouldn't eat anything with corners or, you know, bird Mm -hmm. and how he took his cereal and their little items and what they kind of what brought them joy, but then also how they brought joy to their families and how just, this is a real, it was a great tale about motherhood too. Right. And parentage. Yeah. One of the things that really struck me about the, the idea around motherhood was especially it once bird finds her later on and it's been a couple years and he's obviously changed a lot and they think they're both sort of trying to figure out where they fit into each other's worlds especially because you know she abandoned being a mother to a great extent though of course it's still such a huge part of who she is and and her own reflexes and the idea that that motherhood could be both instinctual and learned, you know, because she's also out of the habit of it. I just found heartbreaking and gorgeous. 
you know, one of the things that I found myself gravitating towards was sort of the, um, I guess the world building that undergirded a lot of the mm-hmm. character conduct. So like, partly maybe just from like my own personal interest in rhetoric, but watching the, the universe of like public messaging in this book and how it was built. There were a lot mm-hmm. of like echoes and rhyming phrases essentially to the way that we see um, maybe politicians and then eventually culture at large, like identify an irredeemable um, malignant force. So, you know, in the 70s, maybe I was pornographer and then it was terrorist, right? And then mm-hmm. you insert an elbow into that definition and you expand it to include any of your enemies, right? So here we have yep. like anti-Americanism, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, and then now we're just going to dilute and dilute and like the collar of a shirt, pull it wide enough to encapsulate anyone with whom we have conflict. Like watching how that worked, I thought, gosh, I wonder how much time that took. Um, you know, there's a lot of invented legislation and the acronyms and yeah. And kind of like, you know, the, the political, um, the political scuffles that sort of led made way for this huge wave of of kind of authoritarian rule. Totally. I love what you say about world building. I, I also thought it was fascinating because in, at the same time, the narrative felt really claustrophobic in a really interesting way to me. Be- I think partly especially... Mm, how so? I think especially with the first section where it is from Bird's point of view, there's so much piecing together you have to do because mm. he's oh, not yeah. zooming out, right? And and right, even if you right. think about like the scope of... There are very few characters who we really get to know over the course of this book. You know, it's actually pretty small. And I think that's one of those, you know, obviously it's telling a much bigger story with that specificity. I think the dopest part of that, like for me anyway, in camera pivots, you know, when you when you mm-hmm. drop into somebody mm-hmm. else's head was the beginning of section two where, we, you know, we've been living with Bird and his dad, living with Bird and his dad. And then right. and then we go to the mom. Right. And she goes, how's yep. Ethan? And you go, oh, my God, of course, his dad has a first name. That was so fresh. <laughs> yeah, he had a name. <laughs> that was the thing. Like, I, I feel like if there was one character I was curious about and I wanted to know more about his internal world, it was Ethan. It was the dad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to a voicemail from Annalisa in Massachusetts. I'm sitting here with tears running down my face as a mother thinking about the choices that the mothers have had to make in this book. And I wonder how I would make those choices. Could I stand up and protest for what was right, knowing that my child could be taken away from me? I don't know. Then having to make the choice that Margaret made. Could you walk away knowing your child would be safe? This book is breaking my heart into little pieces. It's such an impossible choice, the fact that essentially if she wants to protest, she has to leave because that's the only way she knows Bird can stay with his dad. So yeah, at least you mentioned being a mom. I'm curious how this book struck you in terms, you know, I mean, obviously motherhood is a huge theme, not only from the point of view of, of Margaret and and what she does and doesn't give up, but also, you know, the work she ends up doing to to tell the stories of these missing children. Yeah, well, it made me cry. <laughs> I mean, my, yeah, it, 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 she uh, she wrote so romantically about motherhood. Mm-hmm. Where uh, I have three kids under ten, and um, <laughs> I would describe it in one word as chaos, <laughs> and, and she described it like as wondrous or something. And I was like, well. Uh, <laughs> 
But there were so many of those descriptions that just were so affecting for me mm. because I thought, God, if my child was snatched, <sighs> any one of them was snatched, like what would I remember? What would be so specific to them? You know, mm. and um, I just I just thought it spoke to kind of the depths of humanity that we feel. And ultimately, like when she communicates out yes. in, in art. So she's a poet, too, yes. who we should mention, yes. right, that she's a poet. And um, I'd love to hear Dessa talk about this, too. But what's so beautiful about poetry, about music, about art in general, is that it's this language that all that touches all of our hearts yeah. in a way that sort of transcends the languages that we can speak. Mm. And um, that's what the climax, that's how the climax was so affecting to me that everybody sort of stopped in the streets and froze and it made us really human. And so the way that she weaved together the themes of motherhood and the humanity that comes through there with kind of our core humanity and caring for one another Mm -hmm. and the next generation and and storytelling, these are all things that are just essentially human. I would love to talk more about the importance of story and spoken word because mythology plays a really big role in this book you kind of, there's kind of a hero's journey structure to it even the idea of the stories you're told in, as children and how prominently they play in your life i thought was really beautifully wrought too i think especially when we talk about the ending and the the broadcast of all these different stories it made me really interested especially dessa to hear your thoughts about you know, especially I know for you having come up in slam poetry, just the the impact of spoken word, I think especially in the contrast of like, you know, I definitely thought those little bottle caps were going to be bombs, uh-huh. was such a fascinating subversion of expectations and, and such a striking narrative choice. For all there is to read and lament and regret, you know, in, in, the, mm. in this book, I do, I do mm. think that sometimes like, um, I wish that the real world mirrored the the respect and regard <laughs> for yeah. poetry. I do think it's kind of you can tell this is a this is a world invented by a writer, and I love it, and I love visiting. <laughs> but I mean, I, I I do think that in some way, like the most successful way to get poetry in the hands of like a wide audience is like this is in a prosaic work of fiction were you as annoyed as i was that there wasn't the poem that's my next question right it's like we didn't get the poem does i want to read the poem that ends with our missing heart give me the thing give me the thing (laughs) right give me the thing (laughs) i want to read the poem and then that poem could take on a life of its own because of the book you know oh Oh, god that's That's, come on that's like it's like when there's a song in a movie you know this could be the poem that's from the book and everybody would go wild for one poem i mean that's pretty cool oh my god that's amazing missed opportunity like the instagram poem that aren't happening with that poem. <laughs> Dessa, you ought to write it. You should write it, Dessa. So I, when I interviewed Celeste, I asked her two spoilery questions, and one was if the poem exists somewhere, Ooh. like even in her brain, if not in the book, and here's what she had to say. I always wanted to be a poet when I was a teenager, um, and then my, my poems kept getting longer and more narrative, <laughs> and I realized that maybe I was in the wrong genre. Um but I, I love poetry. Uh, I love reading poetry. And I, I knew that I, I probably could not or should not write this mm. poem. And in a way, I didn't actually want to give Margaret's poems in their entirety, because in a way, what the reader will fill in is more powerful. And I liked the idea that maybe Margaret's poem couldn't exist on paper anymore, but that it was going to be out there in the brains of people who knew it 
in the brains of the readers who are reading this book, they're going to fill in that, that paper, putting it down on, on paper in some ways seem to take away some of the mystery. Eh, I don't know. I think it's a cop out. (laughs) Disagree. I I think Celeste Ng could have really nursed her inner poet and written the poem. I think so too, because also it's like having, I feel like I got a punchline, which is not (laughs) super useful without my setup. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I could see this totally being like a high school assignment like read this book and then write the poem you know like I think that I do think there is I totally get what you're saying about it maybe being a cop-out at least but there is something about just sort of like the blank slate of it all that I think is also very symbolically lovely in the context of a book like this well this is a book club we don't all have to agree (laughs) word agree to disagree and I do think you know in some of the in some of the choices that she made even just like formal formally and how the words are presented on the page um mm. yeah I, i'm a sucker for like um dialogue that is not precisely attributed so she dispenses with mm-hmm. um with quotation marks she dispenses even as we would find in like tis you know she dispenses with uh, m dashes or with italics to indicate spoken mm-hmm. word and stuff and, and i dig that because i do think that does kind of create like uh i don't know it's like a soft filter there's a dreaminess mm-hmm. that text yes. gets yes. when you don't when you don't nail it every corner down more on our missing hearts with dessa and elise in just a minute Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Um, So speaking of things we may have disagreed on, I guess this doesn't quite count as a disagreement, but I mentioned the fact that I for sure thought that there were these were going to be like hundreds of tiny explosives planted across the city. Did you both? Was that your expectation as well? I thought it was I thought it was going to be sinister because there was so much soldering. Right. And very infrequently, (laughs) like a a hella like hella hours spent midnight soldering don't usually end up in craft projects, you know, but um, (laughs) but yeah, I thought I didn't know if it was going to be explosive, but I I, I felt kind of gloomy about it. Yeah, it was ominous. Yeah, Yeah. it's so funny because I went the opposite. I went with like major art installation Uh or exhibit or something because she was an artist. I mean, it makes sense. They definitely planted those seeds. Yeah, yeah, they were already the the sort of um our missing hearts and the the paint that yeah. was splattered like blood and all of that yeah. earlier so i thought oh my gosh this, she's gonna light up the sky or something but not with bombs but with lights you know mm. so it's interesting I, I i love i i knew what it was once she described how in los angeles there were cell phone towers that oh. were that were dressed up to look like trees mm. but the wrong species of trees mm. and so you knew that it was going to be something communication related but i loved the reveal of it I did too. I mean, I have to say, like, especially as a radio person, you Mm. know, I mean, we're all like spoken word people. I think there's just like a such a symbolic heft to that. And and the you know, the fact that the final act is 
is telling other people's stories. It's just like... <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And it also is borrowed from reality and history. Mm-hmm. You know, Greta, I was the correspondent in Seoul for NPR yeah. for a long time. And right along the 38th parallel, the North Korea-South Korea border, there are still propaganda speakers, mm. these loudspeakers from South Korea that are played across the border into North Korea. And it broadcasts everything from news updates to some propaganda about how South Korea is great and rich and then to K-pop so that there's kind of modern music and art being shared, but also weather, like the time and temp. Mm. And there's a lot of North Korean defectors who have said later on after defecting that it was actually the weather reports that really compelled them and sucked them in. And the reason why was because the weather reports turned out to be they true. Could trust them. Wow. Yeah, and the fact that this communication was true oh. made them believe that maybe the other information oh. could be reliable. My too. God. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> All right, that's that's Spike it for me, the folks. Mic, man. Throw your At least you away. don't forget to pre-order my book. Please pre-order my book. <laughs> Holy shit, that's that's Man. profound and striking and all the things. Damn. So I mentioned I asked Celeste two spoilery questions. My other one was about the ending and the choice to have a, you know, a, a large act of protest that is nonviolent. We're accustomed to the the arc of a story, you know, the satisfying ending of the story being and then there was a big gesture and it fixed everything, right? And I, as I wrote this story, I knew what she was planning and I, I was struggling a little bit because I also had this creeping feeling that that couldn't be the end. It wasn't going to solve everything. Um, and uh, partly because that's, that's generally how it works in real life, right? There's very seldom one pivotal moment that solves everything and this is the end and it it has tied a bow. She's not going to solve racism, right? Like that's, that's not something that could be solved. And in fact, to imply that anyone could do that with one action is to sort of downplay the hugeness of this problem. But what she could do maybe that might end up being useful in the future is starting a little ripple. Elise, does that feel like a cop out to you too? No, I thought it was beautiful. And I thought it was a reminder of how history repeats itself Mm. for good and for ill. Right. So we know that history repeats itself in terrible ways, but history can also repeat itself in hopeful ones too. And there can be other um, Margaret Muse out there Mm. and she's planting a seed for other forms of resistance or more creative ones or more successful ones down the road. And I think that was really nice. I've got strong feelings generally on endings. Like um, I I listen to a lot of New Yorker fiction and I think <laughs> right now there's sort of like, um, <laughs> there's sort of a, a stylistic decision that's in vogue to like end any freaking place. <laughs> like you could end one paragraph <laughs> earlier and that's also the end. You could end four paragraphs earlier. I, I am a sucker for landing on a mat, but it doesn't have to be a narrative landing. A stylistic Mm. landing like this Mm. one, I think, is Mm. also a totally um, viable success. But yeah, I'm a sucker for a story that feels like, whether it's with, you know, like a big gesture of poetry or or imagery, there feels like a place where we're parting deliberately with, with the narrative. 
Yeah. So to that end, I mean, did that, did we need that last chapter then? Hmm. Because, you know, the big action happens and then we go back to Bird in the house. There's a bit of an epilogue. Yeah. Yes. There's a bit of yeah. like a, there is kind of a bow. So I liked that he and Sadie were reunited. Yes. And that there, she used that last chapter to talk about kind of the seed planted in Bird too. True. Right? That's and so true. I thought that was really necessary. Maybe, maybe it could have been handled with a paragraph earlier in the previous, you yeah. know, a, a, a paragraph that was moved earlier into, in the previous chapter. But I don't know. I thought one of the important strains of the story was Bird's friendship with Sadie. Yes. Um, and so tying that up was nice to me. I wonder if that feels like that flash when you return to scene after the credits, you know, like when you watch mm-hmm. the whole movie on the plane <laughs> and then yeah, you get an yeah. extra little scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I think that, I think I was a little frustrated by that just cause it, it felt a, a bit tidy mm. narratively, you know, um, sort of like, okay, well here are all the loose ends. Um, but I mean, I was glad that, you know, bird was reunited with his dad um, and I think, yes, to your point too, Elise, like he's, he has now a mission for himself. That's a really beautiful thing. Um, but yeah, I kind of wonder how this would have landed if it had just ended with, you know, her continuing to read when she knew she was, she should have stopped. Mm-hmm. I also wonder what happened to all those kids. Mm-hmm. So really, where are all those kids? We're talking about millions of kids, yeah. right? Yeah. That was, that was a loose end that wasn't tied up. Did that bother you? Because I feel like that's also how it works now, right? Like there's right, torches right. in Argentina. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. where is yeah. everybody? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I don't think I needed an answer, yeah. but I... It, the it's a big open question that the reader is left with at yeah. the end. I just wanted to know, like, as a right, you know, if, if we were to, like, zoom down to sentence level, which admittedly mm. is, like, where I live most of the time. Do, do you right? know what I'm saying? Like, for me, this yeah. was like an elevator to a floor that I visit three times a year. Um, <laughs> how did, did you guys have feels on how, on the language that was used, on how sentences were written, on the kind of metaphor or lack thereof? Like, what'd you think? Oh, gosh. I read books the, in the exact opposite really? way. Really? You're a story right? person? Yeah. Dessa, what, yeah. uh, what I... No, I'm actually atmosphere person. Oh, so funny. I don't even know if next week I will be able to tell you point by point what happens in the uh, plot. Yeah. I'll just be like, oh, yeah, those were good vibes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> that's funny. At least I feel like I'm a little of each because as I'm reading, I want plot. I want, like, that's my main focus is, like, where is this going? What's about to happen? Am I surprised? Is this unearned? You know, all that stuff. But if I'm reflecting back on something, it definitely is about vibes. But I do, I mean, and I don't know if this is what you're thinking about too, Dessa, but, like, there is a terseness to these sentences that I think works really well with this narrative. Yes, I think there's a terseness. And, I like, this makes me sound like it's, like, such a creepazoia, but I think it's, like... (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm the same way maybe as you, Elise, in that, you know, when enough months go by, I think probably a lot of the, the plot kind of washes <laughs> through the wrinkles of my brain and is stored in a, in a room that I don't have a key to, but right. but sentences stay. So, like, um, let me find one. Okay. She curls up like a shelled shrimp, like the little, like, fetal position mm-hmm. on the ground or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. those little things, like, whatever the, the metaphors um, yes. that are used, like, those are the things that I end up, I end up walking with. I also, I highlighted one like that, um, suspicion spread like ink on wet cloth. Ugh. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There was yeah. one about, like, how traffic moves in New York. Um, that, like, mm-hmm. as the lights turn, you know, the, the kind of throngs of pedestrians, like, bunch and then advance, like, a huge snake moving downtown or something. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's going to be one 
one where when I'm waiting for a light and others join me at the corner, I'm going to imagine myself as a wrinkle on a python, you know? I love that. Um, okay, so every month we choose a completely arbitrary rating system. Uh, for this book, we were thinking bottle caps. Um, so I don't know, maybe one to a hundred bottle caps. Elise, what do you think you'd rate this book? Oh, I have to go first. Yes, um, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this book a solid A. I'm giving. Remember, remember yeah. at the end, she's like a 95. When all the bottle caps actually lit up, she's like 95 <laughs> percent yeah. penetration. A solid A. Her mom would be proud. Oh so I'm God. giving Celesting 95 bottle caps a solid A. Oh, her mom would be proud. That is like exquisitely apt. Dessa, what do you think? I'm going to go 81 bottle caps. Okay. Um, okay. In that there were some moments where I. I, I um I wonder particularly from Bird's perspective if we were mm. holding true to like what a character who's that age would observe that distracted yes. me a little bit. Yes. Um, he I was too precocious. Maybe maybe a little bit just like oh this must be where the books were unloaded in the library when they were on interlibrary <laughs> loan and I was like were they was it? Yeah. But I believed it, but I hear what you mean. I do. I think especially a 12 year old, it's tricky because they can get away with so much, you know, like true, fair. They are so sophisticated in so many ways. And yet they are still such absolute children at the same time. Fair. But yeah, 81 is good. I like I like your solid A. I think 95 is really good. I really loved this book. I think it's interesting to compare it to her other two books, both of which I also read. Um, because I think I did enjoy Little Fires Everywhere more. And I don't know if that was just, I mean, probably partly because it was just less devastating than this mm. one is. Yeah, because um, so the first one was also very devastating. Yes, and the first In one was also very devastating. a smaller sort of microcosm, right. Yes, this one is certainly her most ambitious and I feel like sometimes I say that and I mean it in like a like sort of, like, <laughs> well, she tried really hard and I'm not sure she pulled it off. In this case, I think she really pulled off something beautiful. And I partly am just really excited about Celeste as an author. And I'm so excited to see what she comes up with next because I know it's going to be fucking great, whatever she does, you know. Um, OK, so books to recommend if someone enjoyed the vibes of this one. I think like you could go in any direction with this and it's acceptable so i don't know a book of poetry a book about soldering i don't know um (laughs) really whatever whatever vibes dessa i'll put you on the spot this time okay absolutely i'm just um i'm a big fan of the a lot of times people say you know kind of prose poetry i don't know if his is more like poetry Mm. prose but um but max porter Mm. i think he makes some insane universes that i don't know how he gets them to hold you know what i mean it's like Mm. somebody building a fully load-bearing sky rise out of like origami paper and gum like i don't know how he does it i think it's super fresh and um if people aren't familiar yet grief Mm. is the thing with feathers Elise, what do you think? I'm going to recommend a novel with similar vibes, Sweet. Um, but it takes place in China across a few different generations of a Chinese mm-hmm. family. It's called Do Not Say We Have Nothing. It's a novel by Madeline Teen or Thien. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. She's Canadian, a- Asian Canadian. And the second generation in it is during the Cultural Revolution. And then um, the third generation in it is during 1989 and the buildup to Tiananmen. And I just thought it was so beautifully wrought Mm. and it has, it shares similar vibes, but also share similar themes of how a seed planted in one generation can go on to grow in the next and be harvested in the following one. Mm. And so 
It's really beautiful. Do not say mm. we have nothing mm. is the novel. Um, and as for Asian American poets, there a is title. a collection by Sally Wen Mao um, called Oculus that came out a few years ago. And the middle of it has a series of poems about Anna Mae Wong, who is kind of the first mm. known Chinese American actress in Hollywood and all the things that happened to her, the super racist things that happened to her as an actor in Hollywood. But the poetry is excellent. It's arresting. The book is called Oculus, Sally Wenmao. Thank you both for coming on. This was a true delight. Y'all are the best. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for having us. That's it for this month's book club. Thanks, of course, for reading along and listening. An extra special bonus thanks to those of you who called in and shared your thoughts about our missing hearts. Our November book club selection is Laura Worrell's Sweet, Soft, Plenty Rhythm. Stay tuned for a spoiler-free chat with Laura in the feed next Tuesday. And then, of course, read the book and let us know what you thought. You know the drill by now. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, along with Sam Deere. And our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. We will see you on Friday. We can swear I messed up this whole podcast. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.